Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Classes of Mail. My name is Alan Gigax, and today the plan is to read articles 10 and 11. 11 is pretty short, didn't really feel like it deserved its own episode, and I did some looking ahead, and article 12 is really long. So that's going to be at least two episodes, maybe three episodes. So I want to get through this stuff before we go on. And um, you guys are going to be listening to this in the future. Uh, I am in your past as I'm recording this, and that's kind of weird to think about. Uh, But I usually try to have two episodes, maybe three episodes in the can at all times. Right now I have two, and this will be my third. So I'm recording multiple weeks ahead of time. So a lot of times when I see your feedback, it's... um, you know, it's certainly not immediate to when that episode came out, or at least not immediate to when I recorded it. And I got some feedback about the way I've been reading the JCAM uh, regarding the accents that I use. Um, it was negative feedback. Some people said it was fine, but for the most part, people found it annoying. So I don't know. Is it annoying? Is it necessary? I don't know. You know, if you think about what the JCAM is, You have the actual contractual language, and then there's all this interpretation. And as near as I can tell, and please correct me if I'm wrong, classesofmail at gmail.com. Send me whatever uh, messages you have. Uh, But the entire JCAM essentially carries the full enforceable weight of the contract because everything in there is stuff that has been agreed to by the NALC and management. Certainly the memos carry the full force of... Um, you, you know, the contract that we can file grievances based on the memos, <clears throat> not just on the words that are in the boxes. So with that in mind, um, what's in the boxes and what's not, this may be a case where there's a distinction without a difference, and it's not even worthwhile to segregate them out. So I'm going to try in this one, just reading it straight through with no accent and who cares? whether it's in the box or not. And we'll see how that goes. Maybe I'll get feedback on that and they'll be like, no, I need to know. Who knows? Anyway, let's get started. Article 10, leave. Sources for leave rules. The rules governing the various types of postal service leave are contained in several source documents. Article 10. Article 10 contains the national agreement's general provisions concerning the leave program. Article 10 guarantees continuation of the leave program, sections 1 and 2, outlines the national program for the use of annual leave through vacation planning, sections 3 and 4, provides for sick leave, section 5, and states certain additional leave rules concerning minimum leave charges and leave without pay, LWAP, section 6. ELM subchapter subchapter 510. Article 10.2 specifically incorporates Subchapter 510 of the Employee and Labor Relations Manual. Subchapter 510, Sections 511 through 519, contains the specific regulations controlling leave for career letter carriers. City Carrier Assistant Employees Leave provisions regarding City Carrier Assistant Employees are found in Appendix B and applicable memorandums of understanding in the 2019 National Agreement. National Memorandums of Understanding Certain national memorandums of understanding appearing on pages 180 through 188 of the national agreement also address leave issues. Local memorandums of understanding. 
Many important features of letter carrier leave are governed by local leave programs, which are negotiated locally under Article 30, local implementation, and are contained in local memorandums of understanding, LMOUs. Federal law. The Family and Medical Leave Act, FMLA, is a federal law that entitles eligible employees to time off to impl- to time off to care for a new child, to care for a seriously ill family member, and for an employee's serious medical problems. The detailed rules governing the FMLA are found in the federal law and in the Code of Federal Regulations, Chapter 29 CFR Part 825. The National Parties jointly created a summary overview of the Family and Medical Leave Act of 1993, FMLA, dated November 24, 2015, M-01866. This document provides the mutual understanding of the national parties on issues related to leave covered by the FMLA. This material explains the main provisions of Article 10, summarizes other important leave rules, and gives references to more detailed provisions concerning leave. It does not attempt to cover all of the detailed leave regulations contained in the ELM Subchapter 510 or the FMLA. 10.1 Section 1 Funding The employer shall continue funding the leave program so as to continue the current leave earning level for the duration of this agreement. 10.2. Section 2. Leave Regulations. The leave regulations in subchapter 510 of the Employee and Labor Relations Manual, insofar as such regulations establish wages, hours, and working conditions of employees covered by this agreement, shall remain in effect for the life of this agreement. Continuation of Leave Program. Articles 10.1 and 10.2 guarantee continuation of the leave program and refer to the detailed leave regulations published in the ELM. Subchapter 510 of the ELM contains the detailed postal service regulations concerning the administration of the leave program. There are several categories of leave available for absences. Annual leave, section 512, sick leave, section 513, LWAP, section 514, court leave, section 516, military leave, section 517, and administrative leave, section 519. Within these sections, there may be distinctions defined for bargaining unit, non-bargaining unit, full-time, part-time regular, and part-time flexible employees. In addition, section 515 contains regulations concerning absences covered by the Family and Medical Leave Act, and section 518 contains regulations concerning holidays. Annual leave. Annual leave is paid vacation time. The rate of annual leave earnings is based on creditable service, that is, total cumulative federal service, employment, including certain time kinds of military service, ELM section 512.2 determining annual leave category. New employees earn annual leave but are not credited with leave and may not take it prior to completing 90 days of continuous employment, ELM section 512.313b. The 2019 National Agreement established that CCAs converted to career status after at least 90 days of continuous service as a CCA are exempt from this rule. CCAs are not subject to the rule in ELM Section 512.313b. Annual leave is paid at an employee's regular straight-time rate and is limited to a maximum of 8 hours during any single day. As explained further below, letter carriers typically use annual leave in three ways. One, by annual bidding in advance, based on seniority, on vacation time as specified in this article, and in the Local Memorandum of Understanding, LMOU. 2. Other requests for annual leave as needed throughout the year. 3. 
emergency annual leave taken for emergencies. Annual leave accrual full-time employees. Full-time employees earn annual leave as set forth in the ELM section 512.311, reproduced below. They are credited with the year's annual leave at the start of each leave year. And in 512.311, we have a chart of accrual, and it shows how many hours of leave you earn based on how many years you have with the service. So if you want to see that chart, you can go to page 10-3 and check it out. Annual leave accrual part-time employees. Part-time employees earn annual leave as set forth in the ELM exhibit 512.312, reproduced here. ELM section 512.312.B provides that PTFs are credited with annual leave earnings at the end of each bi-weekly pay period. And then here we have exhibit 512.312, which is a chart that shows the annual leave earnings for PTFs or part-time employees, and it's a lot more complicated. And if you want to see that chart, you should go to page 10-3. Moving on. 27 pay period leave year. The accrual charts listed above are based on a 26 pay period leave year. In leave years with 27 pay periods, employees will earn additional leave. When determining if a leave year has 27 pay periods, remember a leave year differs from a calendar year. The 27th pay period in a leave year is not necessarily labeled pay period 27. A leave year is defined as the year beginning with the first day of the first complete pay period in a calendar year and ending on the day before the first day of the first complete pay period in the following calendar year. Annual leave accrual CCAs. CCA annual leave accrual is governed by Appendix B-3. Other provisions. Section B, Article 10 in the 2019 National Agreement. CCAs are credited with one hour of annual leave for each 20 hours spent in pay status during each bi-weekly pay period. CCA annual leave is used both for the usual annual leave purposes, rest, recreation, emergencies, etc., as well as for illness or injury in lieu of sick leave. And here we have Appendix B. Appendix B is the reprinting of Section I of the 2013 DOS Award, as Roman numeral I, the creation of a new Roman numeral one. Uh, either way, the creation of a new non-career employee category. Provisions of the DOS Award that were modified in the 2019 National Agreement are indicated in bold. These provisions that are reflected in another part. Those provisions that are reflected in another part of the National Agreement or Joint Contract Administration Manual are not reprinted herein. Three other provisions. B. Article 10. Leave. General. 1. Purpose. Annual leave is provided to CCA employees for rest, recreation, emergency purposes, and illness or injury. A. Accrual of annual leave. CCA employees earn annual leave based on the number of hours in which they are in a pay status at each pay period. And here is a much simpler chart of CCA pay status, which you can find on page 10-4, or CCA annual leave earning status, I should say, which is on page 10-4. B. Biweekly crediting. Annual leave accrues and is credited in whole hours at the end of each biweekly pay period. C. Payment for accumulated annual leave. A separating CCA employee may receive a lump sum payment for accumulated annual leave subject to the following condition. A CCA employee whose separation is effective before the last Friday of a pay period does not receive credit or terminal leave payment for the leave that would have accrued during that pay period. 
Authorizing annual leave. One, general. Except for emergencies, annual leave for CCA employees must be requested on Form 3971 and approved in advance by the appropriate supervisor. Two, emergencies and illness or injury. An exception to the advance approval requirement is made for emergencies and illness or injury. However, in these situations, the CCA employee must notify appropriate postal authorities as soon as possible as to the emergency or illness slash injury and the expected duration of the absence. As soon as possible after return to duty, CCA employees must submit Form 3971 and explain the reason for the emergency or illness slash injury to their supervisor. Supervisors approve or disapprove the leave request. When the request is disapproved, the absence may be recorded as AWOL at the discretion of the supervisor as outlined in Item 2, Approval slash Disapproval, under Form 3971 below. Unscheduled Absence 1. Definition Unscheduled absences are any absences from work that are not requested and approved in advance. 2. CCA Employee Responsibilities CCA employees are expected to maintain their assigned schedule and must make every effort to avoid unscheduled absences. In addition, CCA employees must provide acceptable evidence for absences when required. Form 3971, Request for or Notification of Absence. 1. Purpose. Application for annual leave is made in writing, in duplicate, on Form 3971, Request for or Notification of Absence. 2. Approval slash disapproval. The supervisor is responsible for approving or disapproving application for annual leave by signing Form 3971, a copy of which is given to the CCA employee. If a supervisor does not approve an application for leave, the disapprove block on Form 3971 is checked and the reasons given in writing in the space provided. When a request is disapproved, the reasons for disapproval must be noted. AWOL determinations must similarly be noted. Annual Leave Sharing Management Instruction MIEL-510-2019-6 sets forth the policy guidelines and standard procedures for administering the Annual Leave Sharing Program referenced in ELM Section 512.64 Annual Leave Sharing and it obsoletes the 1999 instructions. The MIEL-510-1999-4 did not amend or supersede the provisions of the collective bargaining agreement negotiated between the Postal Service and the National Association of Letter Carriers, and there are citations. On September 11, 2007, the parties agreed to modify the leave-sharing memorandum. Originally, the memorandum allowed career postal employees to donate annual leave to another career postal employee, but only within a postal district's geographic area. The modified memorandum removed the geographic restriction in cases where donating where the donating employee and the receiving employee are members of the same family, son or daughter, parent, and spouse, as defined in the ELM section 515.2. The parties agreed to further modify the leave-sharing MOU to allow employees to be eligible to receive donated leave to care for a child born to or placed for adoption with the employee within the 12 months prior to taking leave. See Memo on Leave Sharing on JCAM page 10 18. 10.3.A, Section 3, Choice of Vacation Period. A. It is established, it is agreed to establish a nationwide program for vacation planning for employees in the regular workforce with emphasis upon choice vacation periods or variation thereof. 
Vacation planning, local implementation. Article 10.3 establishes a nationwide program for vacation planning for the regular workforce and specifically addresses the selection of the choice vacation periods. Article 30 provides for local implementation of more specific leave provisions consistent with the general provisions of Article 10. A new local memorandum of understanding, LMOU, may be negotiated shortly after each new national agreement is finalized. The LMOU is negotiated between the parties at the local level pursuant to Article 30 and covers, among other items, the operation of local vacation selection. The LMOU typically sets forth a system where the leave year is divided into times known as the choice vacation period, prime time, and other times which are outside the choice vacation period, non-prime time. For example, the choice vacation period might run from the first week of May through the last week of October. The LMOU usually provides that full-time regular and part-time flexible letter carriers bid, based on seniority, for blocks of continuous vacation time, annual leave. Part-time regulars may also bid on vacation time, but they are a separate category for bidding on vacation time, and their seniority is normally restricted to this category. Key LMOU provisions may establish the percentage of carriers, or a fixed number of carriers, to receive vacation each week, both during the choice vacation period and during the non-choice periods. The number of carriers that must be permitted off during the choice vacation period is typically higher than the number during non-prime time. In any office that does not have provisions in its current LMOU regarding annual leave selection for CCAs, the parties agree that, during the 2021 local implementation period, local parties will, consistent with the needs of employees and the needs of management, include provisions into the LMOU to permit city carrier assistant employees to be granted annual leave for selections during the choice vacation period and for incidental leave. Granting leave under such provisions must be contingent upon the employee having a sufficient leave balance when the leave is taken. The procedures for bidding on blocks of vacation time are controlled by the LMOU. Typically, the bidding allows carriers to select available vacation slots by seniority until all carriers have made vacation selections. Full-time regulars may bid based on all credited annual leave, including the year's annual leave credited at the start of the leave year. The LMOU also may set forth procedures for making vacation selections during times outside the choice vacation period. This may be handled by a second round of bidding based on seniority. In addition, the LMOU may contain rules for handling other requests for annual leave, which may be requested by individual carriers as needed throughout the year outside of the vacation bidding process. 10.3.B. B. Care shall be exercised to assure that no employee is required to forfeit any part of such employee's annual leave. Leave carryover. A letter carrier may carry over up to 440 hours, 55 days, of accumulated annual leave from one leave year to the next, ELM section 512.321A. Any amount beyond the carryover maximum is forfeited. Leave carryover for city carrier assistant employees. CCAs do not carry over leave from one appointment to another or when they are converted to career status. CCAs that are converted to career status receive a terminal leave payment for any leave balance at the end of the CCA appointment. Avoiding forfeiture of annual leave. Supervisors should exercise care to assure that no bargaining unit employees have to forfeit any part of their annual leave. For their part, employees must be sure to submit sufficient leave requests. Stewards should encourage carriers to keep a watchful eye on their leave balances and vacation plans. 10.3.C. C. 
The parties agree that the duration of the choice vacation period in all postal installations shall be determined pursuant to local implementation procedures. Duration of choice period. Article 10.3.C should be read in conjunction with any applicable LMOU provisions negotiated pursuant to Article 30.B.5. Article 10.3.C recognizes that the choice vacation periods may vary among installations. This section empowers local installation heads and branches to agree in local implementation under Article 30 to determine the duration of the choice vacation period. The duration normally varies among LMOUs. During local implementation, the choice period's duration is closely related to the issue of how many carriers are permitted to take vacation during the choice period, a subject under Articles 10.3.D.1, 10.3.D.2, and 30.B.9. 10.3.D. D. Annual leave shall be granted as follows. 1. Employees who earn 13 days annual leave per year shall be granted up to 10 days of continuous annual leave during the choice period. The number of days of annual leave, not to exceed 10, shall be at the option of the employee. 2. Employees who earn 20 or 26 days of annual leave per year shall be granted up to 15 days of continuous annual leave during the choice period. The number of days of annual leave, not to exceed 15, shall be at the option of the employee. Number of continuous days off. Article 10.3.D.1 establishes that those employees who have less than three years of creditable service will be granted a maximum of 10 continuous days of annual leave. Article 10.3.D.2 establishes that those employees with more than three years of creditable service will be granted a maximum of 15 continuous days of annual leave for their choice vacation period selection. These sections do not foreclose the right of an employee to request additional annual leave continuous with the maximum number of days applicable in either Article 10.3.D.1 or 3.D.2 above, nor does it preclude an employee being granted additional annual leave during the choice vacation period if there are fewer employees on annual leave than the maximum number of the or percentage negotiated in an LMOU pursuant to Article 30.B.9, and there's a citation. 10.3.D.3. Three. The subject of whether an employee may at the employee's option request two selections during the choice periods in units of either five or ten working days, the total not to exceed ten or fifteen days above, may be determined pursuant to local implementation procedures. Requesting one or two vacation selections. Oh, that is the wife. Uh, Let me pause. And through the magic of recording, I'm back. Uh, Let's see. Requesting one or two vacation selections. Article 10.3.D.3 should be read in conjunction with any applicable LMOU provisions established pursuant to Article 30.B.7. This section allows LMOU to determine if the maximum number of days of continuous annual leave for choice vacation selection will be requested as a single block of either 10 or 15 continuous days or as two separate blocks of either 5 or 10 continuous days each. For instance, an employee who has 15 days may request 10 continuous days of annual leave in May and 5 continuous days in August. 10.3.D.4 4. The remainder of the employee's annual leave may be granted at other times during the year as requested by the employee. Other annual leave requests. Article 10.3.D.4 should be read in conjunction with Article 10.3A and 10.4.C with any applicable LMOU provisions established pursuant to Article 30.B.12. 
It establishes that employees may request annual leave in addition to their selections for choice vacation periods. Article 10.4.C. Ah, now we get to some memos. Here we have a memorandum of understanding between the USPS and the NALC. This is regarding CCA annual leave. Article 30 of the National Agreement and Local Memorandum of Understanding, LMOU, provisions do not apply to city carrier assistant employees except as follows. In any office that does not have provisions in its current LMOU regarding annual leave selection for CCAs, the parties agree that during the 2021 local implementation period, the local parties will, consistent with the needs of employees and the needs of management, include provisions into the LMOU to permit city carrier assistant employees to be granted annual leave selections during the choice vacation period and for incidental leave. Granting leave under such provisions must be contingent upon the employee having sufficient leave balance when the leave is taken. In the event a proposal on this subject is appealed through the Article 30 impasse procedure prior to a request for arbitration, such dispute will be referred to an alternate dispute resolution ADR team established by the national parties. The expectation is that the ADR team will reach an agreement that will allow city carrier assistance to plan for leave to plan for leave use while accounting for city carrier assistant absences, including during the scheduled five-day service breaks. Any office that currently has provisions in its LMOU regarding annual leave selection for CCAs will continue such provisions unless modified during the upcoming local implementation period. Any impasses that arise under this paragraph will be processed in accordance with Article 30 of the National Agreement. 10.3.E. E. The vacation period shall start on the first day of the employee's basic work week. Exceptions may be granted by agreement among the employee, the union representative, and the employer. Start of vacation period. Article 10.3.E establishes that the first day of an employee's vacation period shall start on the first day of the employee's basic work week. Exceptions may be granted when the employee, the NALC representative, and the employer agree. This section should be read in conjunction with any applicable LMOU provisions established pursuant to Article 30.B.6, which states that the local parties can determine the beginning day of an employee's vacation period selection. Where the LMOU provides that the employee's vacation period selection begins on a day other than the first day of an employee's basic work week, the LMOU is controlling. 10.3.F. F. An employee who is called for jury duty during the employee's scheduled choice vacation period or who attends a national, state, or regional convention assembly during the choice vacation period is eligible for another available available period provided this does not provide provided this does not deprive any other employee of the of first choice for scheduled vacation. Jury duty or NALC convention interrupting vacation. Article 10.3.F provides that if an employee serves on jury duty, attends a national, state, or regional convention or assembly during the employee's scheduled choice vacation period, the employee is entitled to another choice vacation period selection. However, that employee cannot deprive any other employee of his or her scheduled vacation periods. This provision, the provision the provisions of this section should be read in conjunction with any applicable LMOU provisions established pursuant to Article 30.B.8 and 30.B.20. 
Those sections authorize an LMOU to determine whether those absences will be charged to the choice vacation period and whether annual leave for union activities requested prior to the determination of choice vacation period will be a part of the local vacation plan. See Article 24, Employees on Leave with Regard to Union Business. 10.4, Section 4, Vacation Planning. The following general rules shall be observed in implementing the vacation planning program. 10.4.A. A. The employee shall or the employer shall no later than November 1st publicize on bulletin boards and by other appropriate means the beginning date of the new leave year, which shall begin with the first day of the first full pay period of the calendar year. Notification of start of new leave year. Article 10.4.A should be read in conjunction with any applicable LMOU provisions established pursuant to Article 30.B.11. The local installation head must notify all employees when the new leave year will begin. Where LMOU provisions established pursuant to Article 30.B.11 provide for another date and means of notifying employees, the LMOU is controlling. 10.4.B. B. The installation head shall meet with the representatives of the union to review local service needs as soon after January 1st as practical. The installation head shall then, 1. Determine the amount of annual leave accrued to each employee's credit, including that for the current year and the amount he or she expects to take in the current year. Determine a f- 2. Determine a final date for submission of applications for vacation periods of the employee's choice during the choice vacation periods. 3. Provide official notice to each employee of the vacation schedule approved for each employee. Deadline to apply official notice of schedule. Article 10.4.B.2 and 10.4.B.3 should be read in conjunction with any applicable LMOU provisions established pursuant to Article 30.B.4 and 30.B.10 under which the local parties may negotiate LMOU provisions concerning, respectively, 1. The final date for employees to submit applications for choice vacation periods. And 2. How management must give employees official notice of their approved vacation schedule. 10.4.C. C. A procedure in each office for submission of applications for annual leave periods other than the choice period may be established pursuant to the implementation procedure above. Applying for leave outside the choice vacation period. Article 10.4.C should be read in conjunction with Article 10.3.A and 10.3.D.4 and any applicable LMOU provisions established pursuant to Article 30.B.12. The LMOU may provide for two different kinds of leave rules under Article 30.B.12. A. Selections outside the choice vacation period. An LMOU may establish additional rounds of bidding immediately following the choice vacation selections, enabling carriers to make advanced vacation selections during times outside the choice vacation period or during any remaining time during the choice vacation period. B. Other requests for annual leave. In addition, an LMOU may specify rules governing other requests for annual leave which are made as the need arises throughout the year rather than through the advanced annual vacation bidding process. For example, a carrier might win tickets to a World Series game the following week and request to leave request leave to attend. A typical LMOU might specify that such leave requests must be made prior to the posting of the next week's schedule. 
It also might specify how long management has to reply to such requests, set forth procedures for handling daily leave, and specify priorities by seniority or first-come, first-serve for both advance and daily requests for annual leave. Where LMOU provisions do not cover rules concerning annual leave of this type, the ELM Section 512.61a provides, quote, For all regular employees, both full-time and part-time, vacation leave is, gr- is granted when requested to the, expen- to the extent practicable, end quote. 10.4.D. D. All advanced commitments for granting annual leave must be honored except in serious emergency situations. Honoring advanced commitments for annual leave. Article 10.4.D requires management to honor annual leave approved in advance in nearly all circumstances. Emergency annual leave. In an emergency, a carrier need not obtain advance approval for leave, but must notify management as soon as possible about the emergency and the expected duration of the absence. The carrier must submit PS Form 3971 and explain the reasons for the absence to the supervisor as soon as possible. ELM Section 512.411 and 412. 10.5 Section 5 Sick Leave The employer agrees to continue the administration of the present sick leave program, which shall include the following specific items. A. Credit employees with sick leave as earned. B. Charge to annual leave or leave without pay, an employee's option, approved absence for which employee has insufficient sick leave. C. Employee becoming ill while on annual leave may have leave charged to sick leave upon request. D. For periods of absence of three days or less, a supervisor may accept an employee's certification as reasons for an absence. Sick leave. Article 10.5 provides for the continuation of the sick leave program, whose detailed regulations are covered in ELM Section 513. 513.1 defines sick leave as leave which, quote, ensures employees against loss of pay if they are incapacitated for the performance of duties because of illness, injury, pregnancy and confinement, and medical, including dental or optical, examination or treatment, end quote. Sick leave accrual. Full-time and part-time employees accrue sick leave as shown in ELM section 513.21, and uh, here we have a chart of how that leave accrues. It's on page 10-12 if you want to see it. Sick leave is credited at the end of each pay period and can accumulate without any limitation of yearly carryover amounts, ELM section 513.221. 27 pay period leave year. The accrual charts listed above are based on a 26 pay period leave year. In leave years with 27 pay periods, employees will earn additional leave. CJCAM 10-4 for further explanation. City carrier assistant employees. City carrier assistant employees do not earn sick leave. Rather, they receive annual leave to be used for rest, recreation, and emergency purposes, as well as illness or injury. See explanation under Article 10.2. Sick leave use. Let a carrier apply for sick leave, either in advance or after returning to work, by submitting a PS Form 3971. When an employee has an unexpected need for sick leave, he or she must notify the appropriate postal authorities as soon as possible of the illness or injury and the expected duration of the absence. Upon returning to work, the employee must submit a PS Form 3971, ELM Section 513.332. 
in applying ELM Section 513.332 in the context of the RMD, Resource Management Database, process, ACS's, Attendance Control Supervisors, may ask questions necessary to make FMLA determinations and to determine whether the absence is due to an on-the-job injury or for a condition which requires ELM Section 865 return-to-work procedures in a manner consistent with the findings in this decision, but may not otherwise require employees to describe the nature of their illness or injury. And here's a citation. ELM Section 513.65 provides, quote, If an employee becomes ill while on annual leave and the employee has a sick leave balance, the absence may be charged to sick leave, end quote. Sick leave is paid at the employee's regular straight time rate and limited to maximum of, of 8 hours per day, 40 hours per week, and 80 per pay period, ELM Section 513.421B. Full-time employees may request paid sick leave on any scheduled workday of the employee's basic work week, ELM Section 513.411. Part-time employees receive sick leave in accordance with ELM Section 513.42, which provides 513.42, part-time employees. 513.421, general. A. Absences due to illness are charged as sick leave on any day that an hourly rate employee is scheduled to work except national holidays. Exception. If employees shown to be eligible in 434.422 elect to receive annual leave credit in lieu of holiday leave pay, C512.65, sick leave may be charged to supplement work hours up to the limit of their regular work schedule on the holiday worked, provided the requirements of Section 513.32 are met. B. Except as provided in 513.82, paid sick leave may not exceed the number of hours that the employee would have been scheduled to work up to, one, a maximum of eight hours in any one day, two, 40 hours in any one week, three, 80 hours in any one pay period. If a dispute arises as to the number of hours a part-time flexible employee would have been scheduled to work, the schedule will be considered to have been equal to the average hours worked by other part-time flexible employees in the same work location on the day in question. C. Limitations in 513.421b apply to paid sick leave only and not to a combination of sick leave and work hours. However, part-time flexible employees who have been credited with 40 hours or more of paid service, work, leave, or a combination of work and leave, in a service week are not granted sick leave during the remainder of that service week. Absences in such cases are treated as non-duty time, which is not chargeable to paid leave of any kind. Sick leave is not intended to be used to supplement earnings of employees. The restriction in ELM Section 513.421.C on granting sick leave to PTF employees, quote, who have been credited with 40 hours or more of paid service, end quote, applies only to PTF employees who have already been credited with 40 hours of service at the time the sick leave request is made. And here's a citation. Sick leave authorization. The conditions for authorization of sick leave are outlined in Section 513.32 of the ELM. When a request for sick leave is disapproved, the supervisor must check the block disapproved and write the reasons on the PS Form 3971 and note any alternative type of leave granted, ELM Section 513.342. If sick leave is disapproved and the absence is nonetheless warranted, the supervisor may approve at the employee's option annual leave or LWOP, ELM Section 513.63. 
If the employee does not have sufficient sick leave to cover the absence at the option of the employee, any difference may be charged to annual leave and or LWOP, ELM section 513.61. Likewise, if the employee does not have any annual or sick leave for an approved absence, the approved absence may be charged to LWOP, ELM section 513.62. Medical certification. ELM sections 513.361 and 5.3 or 5 ELM sections 513.361 and 513.362 establish three rules. A. For absences of more than 3 days, an employee must submit quote medical documentation or other acceptable evidence end quote in support of an application for sick leave. 3 days means 3 scheduled work days. And here's a citation. And B, for absences of three days or less, a supervisor may accept an employee's application for sick leave without requiring verification of the employee's illness, unless the employee's unless the employee has unless the employee has been placed in restricted sick leave status. In which case, verification is required for every absence related to illness, regardless of the number of days involved. However, C. For absences of three days or less, a supervisor may require an employee to submit documentation of the employee's illness, quote, when the supervisor deems documentation desirable for the protection of the interests of the Postal Service, end quote. Numerous disputes have arisen over situations in which a supervisor has required an employee not in restricted sick leave status to provide medical documentation for an illness of three days or less. Generally, to challenge such a decision successfully, the union should demonstrate that the supervisor acted arbitrarily, capriciously, or unreasonably in requiring the employee to obtain medical documentation. The union should be prepared to show that the grievant has a good overall sick leave record and no record of abuse. Consistent with the Rehabilitation Act, the parties agree that ELM sections 513.362 and 513.364 do not require the employee to provide a diagnosis. USP, USPS Correspondence, August 3, 2007, M-01629. Employees who are on extended periods of sick leave must submit at regular intervals, but not more frequently than once every 30 days, satisfactory evidence of their continued inability to perform their regular duties, unless, quote, a responsible supervisor has knowledge of the employee's continuing incapacity for work, end quote. ELM Section 513.363. Restricted sick leave. Management may place an employee in restricted sick leave status, requiring medical documentation to support every application for sick leave if A. Management has, quote, evidence indicating that an employee is abusing sick leave privileges, end quote. Or B. If management reviews the employee's sick leave usage on an individual basis, first discusses the matter with the employee, and otherwise follows the requirements of ELM section 513.391. Advanced sick leave. Up to 30 days, 240 hours, of sick leave may be advanced to an employee with a serious disability or ailment if there is reason to believe the employee will return to duty. ELM section 513.511. Duty. The USPS installation head has authority to approve such requests. An employee need not use up all annual leave before receiving advanced sick leave. Sick leave for dependent care. The national agreement provides a right to use sick leave in certain situations known as sick leave for dependent care. 
Under language contained in the National Memorandum of Understanding, reprinted at the end of this article, a letter carrier is entitled to use up to 80 hours of sick leave for dependent care per year. To give care or otherwise attend to a family member with an illness, injury, or other condition which, if an employee had such condition, would justify the use of sick leave by that employee. Family member shall include son or daughter, parent, and spouse as defined in ELM section 515.2. Approval of sick Approval of sick leave for dependent care will be subject to normal procedures for leave approval. The right to use paid sick leave does not add to the amount of sick leave earned. Rather, it enables a carrier to use earned sick leave for a new purpose, caring for an ailing family member. The carrier's right to sick leave for dependent care under the contract is separate and different from the right to leave under the Family and Medical Leave Act of 1993, explained below. Sick leave for dependent care is a benefit established by the national agreement. The FMLA is a federal law. Still, there are certain overlaps. For instance, the definitions of son, daughter, spouse, and parent used for sick leave for dependent care are the same as the FMLA definitions. So, an employee may take time off to care for the same persons under both sick leave for dependent care and the FMLA. 10.6, Section 6, Minimum Charge for Leave. The minimum unit charged for sick leave and annual leave for the regular for regular workforce employees as defined in Article 7, Section 1.A, is one hundredth of an hour, 0.01 hour. Employees may utilize annual and sick leave in conjunction with leave without pay, subject to the approval of the leave in accordance with normal leave approval procedures. The employer is not obligated to approve such leave for the last hour of the employee's scheduled workday prior to and or the first hour of the employee's scheduled workday after a holiday. See memos pages 180 through 187. Additional leave provisions regarding city carrier assisted employees are found in Appendix B. Minimum charge for leave. The one hundredth of an hour minimum leave usage amount means, for example, that an employee who obtains advance approval for two to three hours of sick leave for a doctor's appointment and who returns to work and clocks in after two hours and 37 minutes will be charged only for the amount of sick leave actually used, rounded to the hundredth of an hour. Leave without pay. An employee may request unpaid time off, leave without pay, by submitting a PS Form 3971. If the requested LWOP is for more than 30 days, the application must contain a written statement giving the reason for the requested LWOP absence, ELM Section 514.51. As a general rule, management may grant LWOP as a matter of administrative discretion. There are certain exceptions concerning disabled veterans, military reservists, and members of the National Guard, ELM Section 514.22. A National Memorandum of Understanding establishes that an employee need not exhaust annual leave and or sick leave before requesting leave without pay, ELM Exhibit 514.4D. Furthermore, the parties have agreed that if requested, an employee may use LWOP for an FMLA-covered absence. Administrative leave. This is governed by the provisions of ELM Section 519. It is defined as an absence from duty authorized by appropriate postal officials without charge to annual or sick leave and without loss of pay. The ELM authorizes administrative leave under certain circumstances for various reasons such as civil disorders, state and local civil defense programs, voting or registering to vote, blood donations, attending funeral services for certain veterans, relocation, examination or treatment for on-the-job illness or injury, and absence from duty due to, quote, acts of God, end quote. 
National Arbitrator Parkinson ruled in case blah, 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 that the term, quote, without loss of pay, end quote, in the definition of administrative leave means that employees who should also receive night differential while on such leave if they would have otherwise earned it. And here we have a memo between the USPS and the NALC regarding sick leave for dependent care. The parties agree that during the term of the 2019 national agreement, sick leave may be used by an employee to give care or otherwise attend to a family member with an illness, injury, or other condition which, if an employee had such condition, would justify the use of sick leave by that employee. Family members shall include son or daughter, parent, and spouse as defined in ELM section 515.2. Up to 80 hours of sick leave may be used for dependent care in any leave year. Approval of sick leave for dependent care will be subject to normal procedures for leave approval. Here we have another memo between the USPS and the NALC about bereavement leave. City carriers may use a total of up to three workdays of annual leave, sick leave, or leave without pay to make arrangements necessitated by the death of a family member or to attend the funeral of a family member. Authorization of leave beyond three workdays is subject to the conditions and requirements of Article 10 of the National Agreement, Subsection 510 of the Employee Labor Relations Manual and the applicable local memorandum of understanding provisions. Definition of family member. Family member is defined as a a. Son or daughter, a biological or adopted child, stepchild, daughter-in-law, or son-in-law. B. Spouse. C. Parent. Or D. Sibling, brother, sister, brother-in-law, or sister-in-law. Or E. Grandparent. Use of sick leave. For employees opting to use available sick leave, the leave will be charged to sick leave for dependent care if eligible. Documentation. Documentation evidencing the death of the employee's family member is required only when the supervisor deems documentation desirable for the protection of the interest of the Postal Service. Date, September 11, 2007. The preceding memorandum of understanding, bereavement leave, applies to city carrier assistant employees. Note, as clarification, in-laws covered by the memorandum of understanding regarding bereavement leave include the spouse of a child, whether biological, adopted, or stepchild. The memorandum also applies to the parents and siblings of the employee's spouse, whether biological or adoptive. While CCAs are covered by the memorandum of understanding regarding bereavement leave, they do not earn sick leave and therefore may only request annual leave or leave without pay for bereavement purposes. Next, we have another memorandum between the USPS and the NALC regarding leave sharing. The Postal Service will continue a leave sharing program during the term of the 2019 agreement under which career postal employees will be able to donate annual leave from their earned annual leave account to another career postal employee within the same geographic area serviced by a postal district. In addition, career postal employees may donate annual leave to other family members that are career postal employees without restriction as to geographic location. Family members shall include son or daughter, parent, and spouse as defined in ELM section 515.2. Single donations must be of eight or more whole hours and may not exceed half of the amount of annual leave earned each year based on the leave earnings category of the donor at the time of donation. Sick leave, unearned annual leave, and annual leave hours subject to forfeiture, leave in excess of the maximum carryover which the employee would not be permitted to use before the end of the leave year, may not be donated. And employees may not donate leave to their immediate supervisors. To be eligible to receive donated leave, a career employee 
A. Must be incapacitated for available postal duties due to serious personal health conditions or pregnancy, or must need leave to care for a child born or placed born to or placed for adoption with the employee within 12 months prior to taking leave, and B. Must be known or expected to miss at least 40 more hours from work than his or her own annual leave and or sick leave balance, as applicable, will cover. And C. Must have his or her absence approved pursuant to standard attendance policies. Donated leave may be used to cover the 40 hours of LWAP required. Donated leave may be used to cover the 40 hours of LWAP, LWAP required to be eligible for leave sharing. For purposes other than pay and legally required payroll deductions, employees using donated leave will be subject to regulations applicable to L- employees in LWAP status and will not earn any type of leave while using the donated leave. Donated leave may be carried over from one leave year to the next without limitation. Donated leave not actually used remains in the recipient's account, i.e. it is not restored to the donors. Such residual donated leave at any time may be applied against negative leave balances caused by a medical exigency. At separation, any remaining donated leave balance will be paid in a lump sum. The preceding memorandum of understanding, leave sharing, applies to city carrier assistant employees. All right, another memo. Between the USPS and the NALC, this one is regarding return to duty. The parties reaffirm their understanding concerning the review of medical certificates submitted by employees who return to duty following extended absences due to illness. We mutually agree to the following. 1. To avoid undue delay in returning an employee to duty, the on-duty medical officer, contract physician, or nurse should review and make a decision based upon the presented medical information the same day it is submitted. Normally, the employee will be returned to work on his or her next workday, provided adequate medical medical documentation is submitted within sufficient time for review. Two, the reasonableness of the service in delaying an employee's return beyond his or her next workday shall, work shall be a proper subject for the grievance procedure on a case-by-case basis. And next we have a memo between the USPS and the Joint Bargaining Committee, which is the APWU and the NALC regarding leave policy. The parties agree that local attendance or leave instructions, guidelines, or procedures that directly relate to wages, hours, or working conditions of employees covered by this agreement may not be inconsistent or in conflict with Article 10 or the Employee and Labor Relations Manual, Subchapter 510. Here's another memo between the USPS and the Joint Bargaining Community. This one is regarding paid leave and LWAP. The parties agree that an employee need not exhaust annual leave and or sick leave before requesting leave without pay. As soon as practicable for the, after the signing of the 1990 National Agreement, Employee and Labor Relations Manual, ELM, Exhibit 514.4D will be amended to conform to this agreement. The parties further agree that this memorandum does not affect the administrative discretion set forth in ELM Part 514.22, nor is it intended to encourage any additional leave usage. The grievance number blah, 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 is withdrawn. The preceding memorandum of understanding, paid leave and LWAP, applies to city carrier assistant employees. Next, we have a memo between the USPS and the NALC regarding clarification of regulations for National Day of Observance. The parties agree that the following procedures will apply to affected employees if the Postmaster General or designee determines that the Postal Service will 
participate in a national day of observance, e.g. national day of mourning. Subsequent to the declaration of a national day of observings having been made by executive order of the President of the United States. 1. Full-time employees whose basic work week includes the National Day of Observance as a scheduled workday but who are not directed to report for work will be granted administrative leave for that day. 2. Full-time employees whose basic work week includes the National Day of Observance as a scheduled workday and who perform service will be granted a day of administrative leave at a future date not to exceed 8 hours. 3. Full-time employees whose basic work week includes the National Day of Observance as a non-scheduled day and are not directed to report to work will be granted a day of administrative leave at a future date. 4. If the National Day of Observance is a full-time employee's non-scheduled day and the employee is scheduled to work, the employee will receive overtime overtime pay plus up to 8 hours of future administrative leave for the number of hours worked. 5. The same provisions apply to part-time regular employees as apply to full-time employees. The total hours of administrative leave should only equal the scheduled hours for the National Day of Observance, which may be less than 8 hours. However, part-time regular employees whose basic work week includes the National Day of Observance as a non-scheduled workday and who are not directed to report for work on the National Day of Observance will be granted a day of administrative leave at a future date equal to the average number of daily paid hours in their schedule for the service week previous to the service week in which the National Day of Observance occurs, which may be less than eight hours. Six, part-time flexible employees should be scheduled based on operational needs. Part-time flexible employees who work will be granted a day of administrative leave at a later date. The day of administrative leave will be based on the number of hours actually worked on the National Day of Observance, not to exceed eight hours. Part-time flexible employees who are not directed to work on the National Day of Observance will be granted administrative leave at a future date equal to the average number of daily paid hours during the service week previous to the service week in which the National Day of Observance occurs, not to exceed eight hours. 7. Transitional employees will only receive pay for actual work hours performed on the National Day of Observance. They will not receive administrative leave. 8. If an employee is on leave or continuation of pay on the National Day of Observance, the employee will be granted a day of administrative leave at a future date not to exceed 8 hours. 9. An employee on OWCP AWOL, suspension, or pending removal in the National Day of Observance will not be granted administrative leave. If the employee on AWOL, suspension, or pending removal is returned to duty and made whole for the period of AWOL, suspension, or removal, the employee may be eligible for administrative leave for the National Day of Observance if the period of suspension or removal for which the employee is considered to have been made whole includes the National Day of Observance. Such determination will be made by counting back consecutive days from the last day of the suspension or removal to determine if the employee had been made whole for the National Day of Observance. Where provisions in this memorandum oh a ten. Where provisions in this memorandum of agreement provide for a day of administrative leave to be taken at a future date, such leave must be granted and used within six months of the National Day of Observance or by the end of the fiscal year, whichever is later. However, administrative leave will not be granted to employees who are on extended leave for the entire period between the day of observance and six months from that date, or between the day of observance and the end of the fiscal year, whichever is later. 11. Administrative leave taken at a future date must be taken at one time. 12. Administrative leave to be taken at a future date may, at the employee's option, be substituted for previously scheduled but not used annual leave. 13. 
Administrative leave to be taken at a future date should be applied for using the same method and, uh, sorry, number 13. Administrative leave to be taken at a future date should be applied for by using the same procedures which govern the request and approval of annual leave consistent with local memoranda of understanding. Date, May 4th, 2000. And here we have a memo between the USPS and the Joint Bargaining Committee regarding PTF court leave. Effective September 26, 1987, part-time flexible employees who have completed their probationary period shall be eligible for court leave as defined in Employee and Labor Relations Manual Part 516.1 and Part 516.31. Appropriate provisions of the applicable handbooks and manuals shall be amended to carry out these changes consistent with the principles expressed in paragraphs 3, 4, and 5 below. The handbooks and manuals, including Part 516 of the Employee and Labor Relations Manual, shall be amended pursuant to Article 19, except that the 60-day notice of such changes shall be waived. 3. A part-time flexible employee will be eligible for court leave if the employee would otherwise have been in a work status or annual leave status. If there is a question concerning the status, the part-time flexible employee will be eligible if the employee was in work status or annual leave status on any day during the pay period immediately preceding the period of court leave. 4. If eligibility is established under paragraph 3, the specific amount of court leave for an eligible part-time flexible employee shall be determined on a daily basis as set forth below. A. If previously scheduled, the number of straight-time hours the employer scheduled the part-time flexible employee to work. B. If not previously scheduled, the number of hours the part-time flexible employee worked on the same service day during the service week immediately preceding the period of court leave. C. If not previously scheduled and if no work was performed on the same day in the service week immediately preceding the period of court leave, the guarantee is provided in Article 8, Section 8 of the National Agreement, provided the part-time flexible would otherwise have been requested or scheduled to work on the day for which the court leave is requested. 5. The amount of court leave for part-time flexible employees shall not exceed 8 hours in a service day or 40 hours in a service week. Date July 21, 1987. And here we have a memo between the USPS and the NALC regarding qualifying period exception for city carrier assistance. The parties agree that city carrier assistance with a minimum of 90 days of continuous service as a CCA prior to conversion to career status will be exempt from the 90-day qualifying period in ELM 512.313. Any break in service is required by Appendix B, Section uh, Roman numeral 1.1.B will not impact this continuous service requirement. The ELM will be updated to reflect this change. Next, we have an interpretive step settlement between the USPS and the NALC, uh, and it's regarding uh, M-01468. The interpretive issue is whether or not the RMD or its web-based counterpart Enterprise Resource Management System, ERMS, violates the national agreement. It is mutually agreed that no national interpretive issue is fairly presented. The parties agreed to settle this case based on the following understanding. The ERMS will be the web-based version of RMD, located on the Postal Service intranet. The ERMS will have the same functional characteristics as RMD. 
The RMD slash ERMS is a computer program. It does not constitute a new rule, regulation, or policy, nor does it change or modify existing leave and attendance rules and regulations. When requested, in accordance with Article 17.3 and 31.3, relevant RMD slash ERMS records will be provided to local shop stewards. The RMD slash ERMS was developed to automate leave management, provide a centralized database for leave-related data, and ensure compliance with various leave rules and regulations, including the FMLA and Sick Leave for Dependent Care Memorandum of Understanding. The RMD slash ERMS records may be used by both parties to support slash dispute contentions raised in attendance-related actions. When requested, the locally set business rule, which triggers a supervisor's review of an employee's leave record, will be shared with the NALC branch. Just as with the current process, it is management's responsibility to consider only those elements of past record in disciplinary action that comply with Article 16.10 of the National Agreement. The RMD slash ERMS may track all current discipline and must reflect the final settlement slash decision reached in the grievance arbitration procedure. An employee's written request to have discipline removed from their record, pursuant to Article 16.10 of the Collective Bargaining Agreement, shall also serve as the request to remove the record of discipline from RMD slash ERMS. Supervisor's notes of discussions pursuant to Article 16.2 are not to be entered in the Supervisor's Notes section of RMD slash ERMS. RMD slash ERMS users must comply with the Privacy Act as well as handbooks, manuals, and published regulations regarding uh, relating to leave attendance. RMD slash ERMS security meets or exceeds security requirements mandated by AS-818. AS it is understood that no function performed by RMD slash ERMS now or in the future may violate the national agreement. Date September 9th, 2002. Boom, that is the end of Article 10. Boy, I know I said I was going to read Article 11, but man, that one was long. How far are we? Over an hour. But you know, Article 11 is so short. I don't know. I'm scrolling through it now. Suddenly it doesn't... Yeah, it's only seven pages. All right, we're going to do it. We're going for it. Here we go. Buckle in. Article 11. Holidays. Let me scroll back up to the top here. All right, here we go. 11.1. Section 1. Holidays observed. The following 10 days shall be considered holidays for full-time and part-time regular scheduled employees here and after referred to in this article as employees. New Year's Day, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, President's Day, Memorial Day, Independence Day, Labor Day, Columbus Day, Veterans Day, Thanksgiving Day, Christmas Day. Only full-time regulars, full-time flexibles, part-time regulars, and CCAs, see Article 11.8, receive holiday pay. Part-time flexibles, PTFs, do not. Instead, as explained under Article 11.7, PTFs, other than those in Step AA, are paid at a slightly higher straight-time hourly rate to compensate them for not receiving paid holidays. 11.2, Section 2, Eligibility. To be eligible for holiday pay, an employee must be in a pay status the last hour of the employee's scheduled workday prior to or the first hour of the employee's scheduled workday after the holiday. An employee who, is grant, who has been granted any paid leave is considered to be in a pay status. 11.3.A, Section 3, Payment. 
A. An employee shall receive holiday pay at the employee's base hourly straight time rate for a number of hours equal to the employee's regular daily working schedule not to exceed 8 hours. Effective with the 2021 Independence Day holiday, employees who work their holiday at their option may elect to have their annual leave balance credited with up to 8 hours of annual leave in lieu of holiday leave pay. Full-time employees receive 8 hours of holiday pay. Part-time regular employees scheduled to work at a minimum of 5 days per service week are paid for the number of hours in their regular schedule. Part-time regular employees who are regularly scheduled to work less than 5 days per service week receive holiday pay only if the holiday falls on a regularly scheduled workday. ELM section 434.421. See article 11.8 for CCA holiday pay. Holiday pay replaces other approved paid leave for which the employee would otherwise receive on the holiday. For example, employees who would otherwise receive sick or annual leave on the holiday would not have this time charged against their sick and annual leave balance. 11.4, Section 4, Holiday Work. A. An employee required to work on a holiday other than Christmas shall be paid the base hourly straight time rate for each hour worked up to 8 hours. Effective with the 2021 Independence Day holiday, employees who work their holiday at their option may elect to have their annual leave balance credited with up to eight hours of annual leave or receive the holiday pay to which the employee is entitled as above described. B. An employee required to work on Christmas shall be paid one and a half times the base hourly straight time rate for each hour worked. Effective with the 2021 Independence Day holiday, employees who work their holiday at their option may elect to have their annual leave balance credited with up to eight hours of annual leave or receive the holiday pay to which the employee is entitled as above described. C. Deferred holiday leave credited in accordance with section 4.A or 4.B above will be subject to all applicable rules for requesting and scheduling annual leave and shall be combined with annual leave and counted as annual leave for the purposes of annual leave carryover. An employee who works on a holiday except Christmas Day or day designated as their holiday will be paid at the base straight time rate for each hour worked up to eight. Effective with the 2021 Independence Day holiday, employees who work their holiday or day designated as their holiday at their option may elect to have their annual leave balance credited with up to eight hours of annual leave in lieu of holiday leave pay. Overtime is paid for work in excess of eight hours on a holiday or designated holiday. <clears throat> ELM section 434.53A. This is true whether or not an employee elects to have their annual leave balance credited with up to eight hours of annual leave in lieu of holiday leave pay. Regular employees who are required to work on Christmas Day or their designated Christmas holiday are paid an additional 50% of their base hourly straight time rate for up to eight hours of Christmas worked pay in addition to their holiday worked pay. PTS receive an additional 50% Christmas worked pay for hours actually worked on Christmas Day, December 25th. ELM section 434.52. Guarantees. A full-time employee who is called in to work on a holiday or day designated as the employee's holiday is guaranteed 8 hours of work, or pay if there is less than 8 hours of work available. 11.5. Section 5, Holiday on Non-Workday. A. When a holiday falls on Sunday, the following Monday will be observed as the holiday. When a holiday falls on Saturday, the preceding Friday shall be observed as the holiday. When an employee's scheduled non-work... Oh, B. When an employee's scheduled non-workday falls on a day observed as a holiday, 
the employee's scheduled workday preceding the holiday shall be designated as that employee's holiday. 11.6.A, Section 6, Holiday Schedule. A, the employer will determine the number of cat the number and categories of employees needed for holiday work and a schedule shall be posted as of the Tuesday preceding the service week in which the holiday falls. B. As many full-time and part-time regular scheduled employees as can be spared will be excused from duty on a holiday or day designated as their holiday. Such employees will not be required to work on a holiday or day designated as their holiday unless all casuals and part-time flexibles are utilized to the maximum extent possible, even if the payment of overtime is required, and unless all full-time and part-time regulars with the needed skills who wish to work on a holiday have been afforded an opportunity to do so. 11.6.C. C. An employee scheduled to work on a holiday who does not work shall shall not receive holiday pay unless such absence is based on an extreme emergency situation and is excused by the employer. D. Qualified CCAs will be scheduled for work on a holiday or designated holiday after all full-time volunteers are scheduled to work on their holiday or designated holiday. They will be scheduled to the extent possible prior to any full-time volunteers or non-volunteers being scheduled to work a non-scheduled day or any full-time non-volunteers being required to work their holiday or designated holiday. If the parties have locally negotiated a pecking order that would schedule full-time volunteers on a non-scheduled day, the local memorandum of understanding will apply. The intent of Article 11.6 is to permit the maximum number of full-time regular, full-time flexible, and part-time regular employees to be off on the holiday should they desire not to work while preserving the right of employees who wish to work their holiday or designated holiday. Article 11.6.B provides the scheduling procedure for holiday assignments. Keep in mind that Article 30.B.13 provides that, quote, the method of selecting employees to work on a holiday, end quote, is a subject for discussion during the period of local implementation. The Local Memorandum of Understanding, LMOU, may contain a local pecking order. In the absence of LMOU provisions or a past practice concerning holiday assignments, the following minimum pecking order should be followed. 1. All part-time flexible employees to the maximum extent policy or to the maximum extent possible even if the payment of overtime is required. 2. All full-time regular, full-time flexible and part-time regular employees who possess the necessary skills and have volunteered to work on their holiday or their designated holiday by seniority. 3. City carrier assistant employees. 4. All full-time regular, full-time flexible, and part-time regular employees who possess the necessary skills and have volunteered to work on their non-scheduled day by seniority. 5. Full-time regular, full-time flexible, and part-time regular employees who possess the necessary skills and have not volunteered on what would otherwise have been their non-scheduled day by inverse seniority. 6. Full-time regular, full-time flexible, and part-time regular employees who possess the necessary skills and have not volunteered on what would have otherwise been their holiday or designated holiday by inverse seniority. Adverse inferences concerning whether a pecking order contained in an LMOU is in conflict or inconsistent with the language of Article 11.6 should not be drawn solely because the parties at the national level have agreed to a default pecking order. Holiday Schedule Posting 
The provisions of Article 11.4.A concerning straight-time pay for holiday work apply to all full-time employees whose holiday schedule is properly posted in accordance with this section. If the holiday schedule is not posted as of Tuesday preceding the service week in which the holiday falls, a full-time employee required to work on his or her scheduled his or her holiday or designated holiday, or who volunteers to work on such a day, will receive holiday scheduling premium for each hour of work up to eight hours. However, ELM section 434.53.C2 provides that, in the event that subsequent to the Tuesday posting period, an emergency situation attributable to acts of God arises that requires the use of manpower on that holiday in excess of that scheduled in the Tuesday posting, full-time regulars who are required to work or who volunteer to work in this circumstance do not receive holiday scheduling premium. Additionally, if a full-time employee replaces another full-time employee who was scheduled to work and calls in sick or is otherwise unable to work after the Tuesday deadline, the replacement employee is not eligible for holiday scheduling premium. This is true even if the employee being replaced was on a regular work day rather than a holiday or designated holiday. And there's a, a, a citation here. In such and such arbitration, National Arbitrator Snow ruled that, quote, whether the replaced employee is scheduled for a regular day or for his or her holiday is of no consequence with regard to the application of ELM section 434.533C. Note, this is currently ELM section 434.53.C3. Full-time employees who are scheduled after the Tuesday deadline to replace a properly scheduled PTF who calls in sick or is otherwise unable to work, are eligible for holiday scheduling premium. And there's a citation. Full-time employees who are scheduled after the Tuesday deadline to replace a properly scheduled CCA who calls in sick or is otherwise unable to work are also eligible for the holiday scheduling premium. The posting of a holiday schedule on the Tuesday preceding the service week in which a holiday falls is to include PTFs who at that point in time are scheduled to work the, on the holiday in question. If additional PTFs are scheduled after the Tuesday posting, there is no entitlement to additional compensation for those PTFs who are scheduled after the posting deadline. Arbitrator Mittenhall, Mittenthal held in citation that a regular employee who volunteers to work on a holiday or designated holiday has only volunteered to work eight hours. A regular volunteer cannot work beyond the eight hours without supervision first exhausting the ODL. He also ruled that management may not ignore the holiday pecking order provisions to avoid the payment of penalty overtime and reminded the, remanded the issue of remedy for such violations to the parties. The relationship between Article 11 and the overtime provisions of Article 8 is discussed further under Article 8.5. The Memorandum of Understanding, dated October 9, 1988, M-00859, provides, The parties agree that the employer may not refuse to comply with the holiday-scheduled pecking order provisions of Article 11.6 or the provisions of a local Memorandum of Understanding in order to avoid payment of penalty overtime. The parties further agree to remedy past and future violations of the above understanding as follows. 1. Full-time employees and part-time regular employees who file a timely grievance because they were improperly assigned to work their holiday or designated holiday will be compensated at an additional premium of 50% of the base hourly straight-time rate. 2. 
for each full-time employee or part-time regular employee improperly assigned to work a holiday or designated holiday, the employer will compensate the employee who should have worked but was not permitted to do so pursuant to the provisions of Article 11.6 or pursuant to a local memorandum of understanding at the rate of pay the employee would have earned had he or she worked on that holiday. While Mittenthal ruled that it was a violation to ignore the pecking order to avoid payment of penalty overtime, he did indicate that, quote, the Postal Service can, of course, choose from among the PTFs or from among the regular volunteers, etc., in order to limit its labor cost. That kind of choice would not conflict with the pecking order, end quote. National Arbitrator Fasser ruled in blah, blah, blah on the appropriate remedy for violations of Article 11.6. He found that when an employee who volunteered to work on a holiday or designated holiday is erroneously not scheduled to work, the appropriate remedy now is to compensate the overlooked holiday volunteer for the total hours of lost work. 11.7, Section 7, Holiday Part-Time Employee. A part-time flexible schedule employee shall not receive holiday pay as such. Part-time flexible employees other than those in Step AA shall be compensated for the 10 holidays by basing the employee's regular straight-time hourly rate on the employee's hourly rate divided by 2,000 hours. For work performed on December 25th, a part-time flexible schedule employee shall be paid in addition to the employee's regular straight-time hourly rate one-half times in addition to their regular straight-time hourly rate, one-half times the employee's regular straight-time hourly rate for each hour worked up to eight hours. Both Article 11.1 and 11.7 provide that PTFs do not receive holiday pay. Instead, Article 11.7 provides that the holiday pay that regular carriers receive is built into the regular hourly rate for PTFs, other than those in Step AA. This explains why PTF's hourly pay is always higher than that of a regular employee at the same level and step except for those PTFs in step AA. Under the provisions of Article 11.7, the straight time hourly rate for a PTF, other than those in step AA, is computed by dividing the hourly salary for a full-time regular, no, by dividing the annual salary for a full-time regular at that level and step by 2,000 hours, rather than the 2080 figure used to calculate the full-time regular's hourly rate. The difference of 80 hours is exactly equivalent to a regular employee's pay for 10 holidays. For example, effective November 17, 2001, a Grade 1 Step A full-time regular carrier's annual salary was $32,735. Dividing this by 2080 results in a straight-time hourly rate for a full-time regular in that grade and step of $15.74. However, dividing that same number by 2,000 results in a straight-time hourly rate for Grade 1 Step A PTF of $16.37. 11.8, Section 8, City Carrier Assistant Holidays. A, Holidays Observed. The following six days shall be considered holidays for City Carrier Assistance. New Year's Day, Memorial Day, Independence Day, Labor Day, Thanksgiving Day, Christmas Day. B, Eligibility. To be eligible for holiday pay, a CCA must be in pay status the last hour of the employee's scheduled workday prior to or the first hour of the employee's scheduled workday after the holiday. C. Payment. CCAs shall receive holiday pay at the employee's base hourly straight time rate. The number of hours of holiday, pay, holiday leave pay for a CCA will be determined by the size of the office in which he or she works. 200 workier offices, 8 hours. Post plan offices, 4 hours. All other offices, six hours. 
effective with the 2021 Independence Day holiday. CCAs who work on a holiday may, at their option, elect to have their annual leave balance credited with four, six, or eight hours as applicable of annual leave in lieu of receiving holiday pay. Dude, that's it. It's over. Can you believe we have gone through 150 pages of JCAM? Dude, right now it feels like every last bit of it. But that is all for now. Uh, Article 12 is coming up next. And, oh, dude, that is going to be a long one. So I will break that up for sure. I don't know about the accents. I kind of miss using it. It breaks it up the monotony a little bit. I don't know. I'll give some thought on it. In the meantime, that's it. I'm going to shut my mouth. Take it easy. I'll catch you next time.